Welcome to Unfuck Your Brain, the only podcast that teaches you how to use psychology, feminism, and coaching to rewire your brain and get what you want in life. And now here's your host, Harvard Law School grad, feminist rock star, and master coach, Kara Lowenthal. All right, my friends, if you have been feeling burnt the fuck out, then this is for you. So here's how to know if you're feeling burnt out. Do you feel like you wake up in the morning and you are already tired? Do you feel like you are at the edge of your rope and about one small mishap away from completely losing your shit? Spill the coffee and that's it. You'd rather just lay down on the floor and die. (laughs) Am I right? Do you feel like you are snapping at your kids and your partner or your parents or your coworkers more than you mean to? You keep telling yourself that you'd like to stop doing that and be better about it and feel nicer. But then the next minute there you are snapping again. You just don't have a lot of emotional energy. You're overwhelmed. You're exhausted. You take a vacation. You still don't really feel any better. The weekend feels like it's over before it began and you feel like you didn't get anything done, but you also didn't rest. These are all signs of burnout. So if you're feeling this way, you are not alone. I feel like we are in a global burnout (laughs) right now between years of the pandemic, inflation, prices are rising, the global warming is continuing to accelerate, there's a war in Ukraine, and every time you turn on the news, something else terrible seems to be happening, and you're tired, and your kids have been in and out of school because of COVID, and you've been working from home, or you're back at the office and no one is wearing their mask, whatever's going on, you're not alone in feeling this way. But here's the other thing I want you to know. Even though it really feels like burnout is created by the world, (laughs) which is why so many of us are feeling it right now, there's actually a lot you can do in your own brain to heal and prevent burnout. So to heal the burnout you're already having, to create more energy, to create more resilience, to create more ability to feel rested and happy and enjoy your life even in these circumstances, and to prevent future burnout from happening. Because the world is always going to be coming up with new shit that we need to deal with, but we can have so much more control than we think over how we think and feel in response to it. So that is why I have created the 2022 Burnout Breakthrough, because I know that so many of you are suffering and your suffering is not necessary. It doesn't need to be this way. You actually can take control of your own thought process and learn how to process and get through your emotions in a cleaner, faster way, how to experience whatever's going on without feeling so exhausted and overwhelmed, and how to refill your own cup. And I promise the solution is not a bubble bath. If you follow me on social media, you know I love a fucking good bubble bath. (laughs) I pick hotel rooms for their bathtubs. A bath is not the solution to burnout. Working with your brain and your nervous system to create resilience, that is the solution to burnout. And that is what I'm going to be teaching in the 2022 Burnout Breakthrough. So I want to invite you to come check it out. We are open for registration for this. This is all going to start on June 6th. So you've got a couple of days to get signed up and get ready. This is the most cutting edge, most effective, simplest techniques that I have ever put together and taught on burnout and on how to break through it and overcome it and prevent it. So here's how you can find out more. Go to unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash breakthrough, all one word, or text your email to plus one three four seven nine nine seven one seven eight four. And when you get prompted for the code word, send the code word breakthrough and we will send you the link. It's going to be five days of training and live Q&A. And there's going to be even opportunities for live coaching, which usually you can only get if you're inside the clutch, but we are going to do some in the burnout breakthrough. So five days starting on June 6th, there's going to be an exclusive pop-up Facebook group where you can get answers to your questions. I'm going to be in there. We're going to have our clutch coaches in there. So there's going to be other clutch members in there who are also really great at using these tools. 
It's not the Clutch Facebook group. It is a pop-up group that will be up just for the duration of the burnout breakthrough week, but it's a place you can ask questions, share what you're working on, get help as you're applying what I'm teaching. We're going to have live training every day. We are going to have live Q&A, live coaching. You're also going to get a chance to join the Clutch and enjoy exclusive bonus coaching calls inside before we open the Clutch to the public again. We haven't been open for six months, but if you're in the challenge, you get a chance to join before everyone else and get bonus coaching calls. And we're going to be teaching a bonus masterclass. The fifth day of training is actually going to be an even longer burnout breakthrough masterclass, a full hour where I'm going to kind of go over what I've taught you before and then take it to the next level even deeper and give you an even better sense of how you can use this work going forward so that the next time or now (laughs) that things seem overwhelming you have the tools to kind of cut burnout off before it really sets in. It's like noticing that first sniffle and taking that, you know, vitamin C and zinc so that you never develop the full cold. That's what we really want for you. So all of that is the burnout breakthrough. It is all of that, the five days of training and live Q&A, the live coaching, the pop-up Facebook group with support there, the Burnout Breakthrough Solution, which is a workbook that you can only get through this challenge that has these exercises that I'm going to be teaching on how to create more resilience and heal burnout and prevent it from happening again, only available as part of the challenge as well. All of that is, drumroll, $37 which is the most affordable, most accessible way to work with me. If $37 is truly not affordable to you, you can always email us and we will help you out. The link is on that same information page that you can get with the text that I'm going to tell you about again in a minute. And when you get that chance to join the clutch early, you're going to get that chance to apply your burnout breakthrough investment to your first month of the clutch. So it's truly a win-win. Go to unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash breakthrough, all one word, or text your email to plus one three four seven nine nine seven one seven eight four. And when you're prompted for the code word, you send the word breakthrough, all one word, and we will send you the link to sign up. So I cannot wait to see you there. And I cannot tell you how much this training is going to change your life. It's changed mine just putting it together. I cannot wait to share it with you. I will see you guys there. All right, my chickens. I'm very excited for this conversation. I know I say that every time, but every time it's true. Every time I'm like, oh my God, so brilliant. Especially when I'm talking to students from my advanced certification and feminist coaching, because it's just always incredible to have people come into this program and bring their own genius, their own lived experience, their own kind of diversity of thought and experience, and then combine it with the work we do there. And it just creates such powerful teaching and coaching. So I'm super excited for you guys to hear this conversation. So I'm going to let them give further introductions themselves, but I'm with two of my students, Tina Koch. I was practicing the pronunciation and Rochelle Summers. It's done really well. (laughs) Yes. All that Hebrew school paid off with that sound. And so how would you define your niche, Tina, actually? What would you, what's the one sentence version? Oh, I have two separate ones. (laughs) Oh, all right. Laid on us. So I work in two capacities in my private practice. So one is as a mentor for people in the performing arts. So I help them get their work made, sold and seen. But I found out that it involves a mix of strategy. That's what they come for. But then I end up doing mostly mindset work. Mm -hmm. And then the second one is as a coach. And I help people understand and unlearn internalized ableism. And mainly, I would say I attract people that are overwhelmed with everything that's going on, all they have to do or think they have to do. And somehow, even though they try so hard to do all the things, they think they're not doing enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we're going to get way more into that for sure. And then Rochelle is a advanced certified life and confidence coach. And who do you coach, Rochelle? Yeah, so I basically coach who I was about five years ago. So I coach working mums who are close to burnout. And often what happens is we don't know what's happening. We've been having this superwoman syndrome for all our lives. And then we have kids and we're still trying to do it all. And we're working full time and trying to be the mom that we're supposed to be, quote unquote, and we burn out or we're close to burnout. And literally we don't know what's happening. And that's what happened to me. So I help my ladies create simple self-care routines. I'm 
apart from just being a life coach, I'm also a feng shui consultant. So using the environment as well and senses as well. I use a lot of essential oils to help regulate the nervous system as well. Great. So I actually would love to hear from both of you before we get into the substance of what we're talking about, kind of your own stories that led you to coaching into this kind of niche. So Tina, do you want to share with us? And then Rochelle can also fill us in. Yeah. So I have a history in the performing arts. So I am a professional aerialist, which means a professional trapeze artist. And I was touring the world with shows, had a very successful company. And then I had an accident that totally stopped me in my tracks. And what led me into coaching was that I discovered your podcast, actually, Cara, on my hospital bed. And I was binge listening to it through sleepless nights and got totally hooked to thought work. And as soon as I could move my first finger, I signed up to the clutch and haven't looked back since. And then I, a year later, I trained uh, the Life Coach School, where you also trained. And now I'm an advanced certification feminist coaching. And really what I think what I'm so passionate about this work is that I've noticed that, especially in the performing arts, I guess, wider, is the sort of, what I had is it was like laudable to do all-nighters, to work all night and never have a break. I literally was directing shows, going to the next one, checking on a show on tour. And then I had, when I had my son, I literally gave birth and went straight into rehearsal to direct the show. And I would say that led in the end to me having an accident because I was just completely exhausted. Mm, That's such a powerful story. I actually feel like I remember, I can't remember if I coached you or you wrote me an email. I remember reading about your story before I like met you in person or hearing about your story before you came into ACFC and just thinking like what a, just what an example of like, how thought work can lead people and help them when they find it at a really, you know, challenging time. So you coached um, me. I came to I did coach you, college. Yes, yes, that's right. And you coached uh, yes. me I coached on my you. impossible goal because I wanted to. That's right. I knew. That's right. And it was really interesting. And you were telling me that. And I still hadn't at that point kind of put two and two together because mm-hmm. I literally sort of forced myself back into walking out of a mm-hmm. wheelchair. And you were like, Right. So if you can force yourself or hate yourself out of the wheelchair, what about <laughs> what can you achieve if <laughs> you try you to maybe like yourself? This is, I mean, if we ever made a broken record of me, it would be, okay, you've accomplished all this by hating yourself. Now, what if we tried <laughs> liking ourselves? And of course, all my students think then I wouldn't do anything and I would lie on the floor. And of course, that's not true. Like, as you've experienced, it's actually, you still walk and it's nicer when you're not hating yourself. Right. What about you, Rochelle? I mean, you told us a little bit that sort of, I think we all coach people who were us five to 10 years ago, (laughs) but tell us your story a little bit. Exactly. So I was working corporate world in the, in UK, I'm based in the UK. And I got to a point where my kids were start a school and I was at my desk. I'll never forget. I was at my desk and my manager came over to speak to me and she just said, good morning. And I burst into tears. (laughs) Like, on good morning. And I couldn't stop. Like once the floodgates opened, I couldn't stop. It was just on the train to work, on back from work, wherever I was in the bath, I was just crying and I didn't know what was happening. And I was getting psoriasis and eczema all over my body. And I literally had no idea. And I was told I was close to a nervous breakdown, just literally burnt out. And I was seeing therapists after therapists, amazing women. But what we were doing was we were drudging up the past. And I was telling my story again and again and again. And I was just like, this is great, but I can't tell this story anymore. Like I'm, I'm done with the story. I'm, I really want some tools to move forward. And I fell into Brooks funnel of CCP. I'd never heard of life coaching before, literally never. didn't know what it was. And I just saw this woman on the screen saying, do you even know what flower you like? <laughs> do you even know what you want to do tomorrow? Like, what do you want to eat for dinner? And I was, I, I was like, no, I don't. I've lost myself. I don't even know what flower I like. What is it? 
So I fell into that funnel and I signed up for CCP, which is coach training with the life coach school. And I didn't know what it was, what I was getting into, but I just knew I had to do it. I knew that these were the tools to get me out. And I've never looked back from there. Then obviously joining such a that's such a like, it's just, I think we've all been in that place where we feel so burnt out that we will like cry at any opportunity. I mean, that is one of the kind of things I say about like how, you know, you're burnt out is that you like stub your toe and you're like, that's it. I'm just going to lay down and die. Like my emotional resilience <laughs> yeah. right now is so yeah. low. Yeah. And my nervous system is like so agitated that the smallest thing will just like completely sets you off. Right. And you have this like disproportionate emotional reaction to whatever's going on. And it's so challenging because on some level, like when something dramatic happens, it's easier to believe ourselves about all of our drama. But like when you're, you know, sobbing because you stub your toe, you're like, this is crazy. I know that this isn't like proportional, but I don't know what's wrong with me. I must just, there must just be something wrong with me. Like I can't cope with daily life because you don't realize how burnt out you are. Right. Meaning like we're going to talk a lot about this and I'm doing the burnout breakthrough in a couple of weeks, which I'll talk more about in a minute. But it's like, this is the problem with burnout is people, we use that term all the time and people are constantly like talking about it, but I don't feel like anybody actually knows what it means kind of, or like how to know when you're burnt out or like what to do about it. But I think like one of the signs, if you are trying to figure out if you are burnt out, it is that like emotional gas tank is so low that you just have like no resilience or ability to cope left, like you are just one tiny thing away from a nervous breakdown at all times. Right. And like, it doesn't really ever get refilled. It's like one in the tank and maybe you go to sleep and you get to point two, but then like one thing goes wrong and now you're at negative again. And it's like, you can't ever get past that feeling that you're just like on the edge of losing your shit all the time. Right. And as, like I said, therapy really helped, but, and I see so many of my friends going through it as well. And they just, they just think they need to give up work. Or they just think they need right. to be there. You know, we know that there's there's other ways of doing it. Well, yeah. I mean, if you keep your thoughts, you can stop going to the office, but you're still going to have your thoughts. Exactly. I'm curious what you or Tina think. Are there other kind of, sort of before we get into the why, like signs or symptoms of burnout, like how people can kind of, like, what does it really kind of mean burnout to you guys? And, and how do you know if that's what you're experiencing? I think I said it actually in the beginning when I was talking about the people I tend to attract. I think it's a definition of Emily and Amelia Nagoski, you know, that wrote that book, Burnout, How to Complete the Stress Cycle. I don't know exactly. I probably say it wrong. They describe it as just looking, if you look at your life and you just see a mountain of stuff that you have to do and you have to cover it and you just feel completely overwhelmed. And the second part of that is that you just try and outdo that. So you're you're finding yourself in a situation where you are completely overwhelmed, but you're doing all the things and still whatever you do is not enough and you can't get on top of it. And then from personal experience, I have a very good friend with burnout and it was what you said, Cara, it's like he woke up one morning and that was what you said, Rochelle, is that he just couldn't stop crying. And I think ultimately though, you can change your circumstances, but the work you have to do is in your mind and how you see things. I think it starts when you say, how do you notice? I think it starts very little with, I haven't had a very productive day. I could be further along. I should be doing more. I'm not really pulling my weight. I have to get this done. And I'm freaking out about that. And I think there's also a sense of depersonalization sometimes that you just, you can't care anymore about certain things. Mm. Mm. I think that's such a good point because there's really a spectrum, right? And so when I think about burnout and when I've been thinking about creating this burnout breakthrough, like some people are already listening to this. They're like, yes, I'm at the, I can't stop crying all the time point. Like I'm already there. I'm already completely overwhelmed. I already can't cope with my life. Well, so and on the spectrum and then there's people at the beginning of the spectrum, right? And I think, you know, what you're saying is so important. That's like, you want to start paying attention to it before you get to the point. If you're already at the point where you're crying all the time, that's totally fine. This will still help. Like this episode will help. The burnout breakthrough we're doing will help. These amazing coaches can help you. But it's good to get on top of it if you can before you get to that point, right? Like not wait until that point and noticing those little bits of like, am I already having the thoughts that are going to like, if left untreated sort of, and they compound are going to lead me to burnout. I think the other thing that I find if I'm starting to feel a little burnt out is 
certainly that overwhelm, but also the sort of like, it's not as strong as hopelessness because I think that's more when you're getting into like depression and you, you know, maybe need more formal like therapy support, but it's just, it is the sort of like, I don't feel like I'll ever get a break kind of, or like it's sort of the sort of feeling of like, even when I get a break, I don't really feel rested, you know? So it's like the weekend doesn't feel like enough, or even you take a vacation and that doesn't feel like enough. Or it just feels like when you look forward, you're sort of just like, oh God, I don't know when I'm going to not feel like this. Like, it just feels like these problems are never ending. I think that kind of like, it's not like hopelessness, but it's just kind of like low level sort of like, I don't see an end in sight. And I don't like foresee a time when I feel resilient and excited again, right? It's like that kind of, it can be this like low level emotional state that also is important to watch out for. It's like the times that I start to feel a little burnt out, I notice that I'm, when I do take a break, it's like not helping, right? Mm. Like I believe a lot, obviously, like you work and you rest and you play. And like when the rest and the play don't seem to refill the tank, like that's when you know Mm. that you may be having a problem, even if you're not yet at the weeping on the train all the time. Right. And often when you go on holiday, you get ill, Mm -hmm. like you'll, you'll go on vacation. Sorry if holiday doesn't make sense. I was actually thinking, I love that. I actually want to say go on holiday all the time. I feel like that sounds so much more fun than going on a vacation. (laughs) So you go away and this used to happen to me and my husband, we'd go away somewhere luxurious and beautiful. And, and you just be like, get the flu and just feel dreadful because Mm. your body was like, Oh, I can actually stop for a moment. And I feel exhausted. Mm -hmm. And the other symptom I found was lack of sleep. I was waking up at like three in the morning every night and having a whole, like Tina said, a whole to-do list of things going through my brain of, I should be doing this. I need to be doing this. Don't forget that. What about this? And again, I remember my male boss saying to me, well, I have just as much to do as you do. And I don't wake up at three in the morning every night. That's not right. And I was thinking, oh gosh, is this, there's not a thing. I thought everybody woke up at three in the morning. So that was such a good point though, right? That like, we think going on vacation should be restful because we're not doing the work. But if your brain is constantly thinking about it, it doesn't really matter what your like hands are doing, (laughs) like whether you're typing on the (laughs) computer or not. If your brain is just still in that, you don't know how to turn it off or redirect it. You're going to have that problem. So let's talk a little bit about kind of what creates this, right? Because I know that both of you kind of work quite a bit on how and we have to talk in ACFC all the time about like how women are socialized and what the social expectations and the messaging they get are that create this. And of course, not only women get burnt out, but we are really focused right on people socialized as women. So I'd love to hear kind of both of your takes on what creates that, what kind of socialization goes into that. So the common thread that I see in clients is this underlying belief that we're only good enough when we're producing and I would call it and I think some people are gonna jump at this word I'm gonna throw it out there anyway I think at the heart of it is internalized capitalism and what I mean with that is this idea that our self-worth is directly linked to our productivity and how much capital our contributions to society create so it's almost like You can't feel value in yourself for just being alive and just for being a human being. And you have to be a human doing to have any value. And for women, I think in particular, it's not just in the workplace. It's also like we have to produce children. (laughs) We have to produce meals. And, you know, just going very stereotypical, obviously. (laughs) And I think generally, I would say, I see so much of a, of a feeling guilty when you rest undervaluing achievements and prioritizing work and all the things you have to do in life over your own well-being. It's almost like everybody else first, me last. That plays into that as well for women. And, and I think it's not just women. I was thinking, if I just say this one more thing. I think everybody in a capitalistic society is vulnerable to internalizing ideas to connect your value to your work rather than who you are or your output rather than who you are. But I think it plays out differently depending on your social position. So, you know, like there's gender, but there's also, if you have a privileged background, you might have 
intense pressure to achieve because that's just what your family expects you to do. But then when you're from a less privileged background, you might be having all these immense economic pressures on you. Or sometimes if you're a woman of color, after speaking to my friend Callan the other day, and she was saying there's so much pressure on her to be twice as good and have twice as much, be twice as productive (laughs) as a woman of color than her white counterparts. Yeah, I think it all goes to like, as you were talking, I was thinking about the idea that like, I think everybody, of course, is subject to this like, well, if you live in a capitalist society, the capitalist socialization. And I think there's like a kind of Puritan religious socialization that goes on too. That's sort of Mm. like work is virtuous. Idleness is sinful. Like there's a reason that that and capitalism like merged so intensely, right? Like in America. But I think the reason that it's worse for women and then doubly worse if you have another, you know, for each marginalized identity kind of is like the more that you are taught that like you need to prove that you're worth existing basically, right? The more intense this is going to be. So women are taught that, women of color hear that even more, right? Like with every marginalized identity, there's even more socialization around sort of that you can, you know, you need to like justify your existence and why you are like good enough to be here and just be alive. So on top of whatever actual economic pressure you have to produce right enough money to stay alive, at least in the US where we don't have a great social safety net, there's also this like internalized, you know, you're constantly trying to prove that you're good enough, that you're worthy, that you deserve anything. And that just gets kind of compounded as you go along. Yeah. And what you always say in ACFC is that we as women just outsource uh, to other people to determine how valuable we are. Right. So obviously, if it's our default setting, that hits right. harder. Right. Yeah. And our default setting from socialization. Totally. Mm-hmm. What about you, Rochelle? What do you think? Yeah. And I think with my clients, what we notice is that before having children, it's almost like you're in hustle mode and you can do it. You know, you can get to do all the things you're supposed to achieve, achieve what you're supposed to achieve, you know, get the job, you know, go to the gym, look this way, act this way. And then something happens, obviously, when you have the children and there's just like a whole nother to do list on top of everything that you're trying to do. And I think that's how I found like almost this collapse happens where it's just like I can't possibly cope with all of this and coming from, as you know, Jewish and Asian background, it's like the matriarch is the person who looks after the home. We're feeders. Traditionally, you know, I still cook all the meals from scratch. And it's like, this is how we look after our family. So, you know, we know going back in the day, it was the man worked and the woman was at home doing that. And now I think it's great that we have all these opportunities to do both and it's exhausting. (laughs) And where we find the burnout happening, Tina and I were speaking about this yesterday, is that we don't feel like we can just be worthy and just stop and give up some of those things without losing our identity. So I still want to be the career woman. I still want to be independent financially. I still want to feed my children like, and look after the family and do the washing and manage the school diary. And it is just something we do. And I'm sure there are lots of men out there that do it as well. But, you know, this is how I, I've found. And you can almost see even family members where they've had children and, you know, top lawyers going, oh, I'm finding this hard now, you know, <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, if you're like hustling at your top ability and then you add on a whole other thing, right, then you're going to, that's when you like topple over, I think. But I think mm. that I, I, you know, we've, we've talked on the podcast quite a bit. Now we've done two episodes kind of on like the second shift that so many women or people socialize as women take up, particularly if they're in heterosexual relationships. We had, you know, Shauna, your ACFC colleague talking on the last podcast about how the studies show that in same-sex relationships, it's usually negotiated more equally because you're not falling back on these default roles that we've all absorbed, right? And so, yeah, there's structural social change we need. And also, even if there was all the structural social change, if your thought process is still like, no, this is what I have to do to be a good worker and be a good mother and be a good wife and be a good person, like you'll still be trying to do it all, right? And you will still, of course, end up trying to burn out. You will end up burning out because you're trying to do three things at once all perfectly and putting your self-worth on all of them. 
So I also want to kind of have you guys share some about, you know, we're ta- we've talked about sort of internalized capitalism, but then there's this other layer of internalized ableism, right, that we all have and that impacts this. And so I would love for you both to kind of share your thoughts on that and how, you know, what the relationships are between capitalism and ableism and how, well, we should define those terms also probably for everybody listening, just to make sure we all know what we're talking about and how those kind of impact these experiences. I would say that almost the ideology of ableism is the bedrock of capitalism. Because obviously, if you think that all is based around how much you produce, all is based around how long you can work for, how fast you can work, and what output you can create. But obviously, if you have a disability, you cannot fulfill that expectation. And so ableism, I would say, is almost... Well, I don't know if it's can say that it's almost like a product of capitalism. Can we and, hold on? Can we pause? Can you define ableism for everybody listening in case they yeah exactly, they probably heard the word but maybe aren't entirely sure like what that means or what it looks like? Oh, the pressure of a definition. In a nutshell, the term ableism refers to bias, prejudice, and discrimination against disabled people. Or if you prefer people first language, you would say people with disabilities. The discrimination is based on the belief that there is actually a correct way for bodies and minds to function and that anyone who deviates from that is inferior and less valuable. In relation to what we're discussing today, the correct way for bodies and minds to function would be to be at its utmost productive. Now. To define ableism properly, we also need to define disability. And that is just because there are different interpretations around about what disability actually is. Broadly speaking, there are two models of disability, the medical model and the social model. I prefer the letter and I'll explain you. The medical model of disability says people are disabled by their impairments or differences. An impairment would be being blind, experiencing bipolar, having MS or a, say, learning difficulty. The social model says that people are disabled by barriers in society that exclude them and discriminate against them and not by their impairment or difference. To be clear, when I say barriers, I do mean physical, like not having accessible toilets, but I also mean barriers caused by people's attitudes to difference, like assuming disabled people can't do certain things. Let me give you an example. Say you're a disabled person who can't use stairs and you want to get to a restaurant. When you get there, they have steps at the entrance. The social model recognizes that this is a problem with the building and not you as a person and would suggest adding a ramp to the entrance to resolve the issue. The medical model will try to get you walking. Basically, the social model states that disability is caused by the way society is run and organized. So people with impairments or difficulties are disabled by society. So disability is therefore a social construct. Now, this is a bit controversial, but I'm going to say anyway, you do not have to identify as disabled to experience ableism. Disabled people have expressed that the negative effects of ableism have been socially and psychologically damaging to them in a myriad of ways. What is less known, however, is how ableist attitudes affect a lot of people that may not identify as disabled. Can we just pause there for a second? Because I think even just thinking about, like, this is such a good opportunity to think about the ways in which whoever is a dominant group in society, like, sets the standard implicitly for what's considered, quote unquote, normal, right? So we use, like, for people who haven't paused to think a lot about ableism or internalized ableism or structural ableism, like why do we consider whatever we have some general sense. It's not even like it's defined anywhere of what being supposedly quote unquote able-bodied means, 
but like, where does that even come from? Right. How is it communicated to us? We just absorb this through socialization. I guess really what I want to say is it's primarily, especially in a patriarchy, it's not even just based on being quote unquote able-bodied. It's also based on men and what is able-bodied for a man, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we had like men have 24 hour hormonal cycles and we have a 24 hour work day or 24 hour day based culture. So women have people who have more of a female reproductive system or hormones are on a different hormonal cycle, right? Like even just what we think about as being able-bodied, quote unquote, it's not even just, it's even more kind of specialized. It's really like what is some kind of generic supposed standard or norm that even that I think is right male influence based on men, based on probably white men, based on patriarchy. Yeah. And I would say it's sort of, you always think it only affects disabled people, but I think it affects everybody because everybody lives on a spectrum. It's not like everybody has the same mental capacity, has the same, you know, mind has the same body. So I would always define it as a really broad term. And I guess it's almost, yeah, there's a sort of stigma, right? You think about ableism or internalized ableism, that's nothing to do with me. But internalized ableism just means a sort of you having internalized discriminatory ideas about, you know, I was saying, I was saying this in, when I was speaking in the Slack, that do not fit with this sort of muscly, power, cis rail, white dude. Yeah. And I think, and I mean, I love that. I think it's so important. Like, it's not a binary, it's a spectrum, right? Like, mm. it's, it's a spectrum all along. Like, whether or not you identify, or experience impairments or experience social, you know, disability because of social structures or whatever. Everybody is somewhere on the spectrum and also like everybody experiences natural changes in their body and their ability, right? Over their life based on just being sick, getting pregnant, being whatever else, like living mm-hmm. in an environment that has mold in it when you didn't before or whatever, like your body is going to fluctuate your kind of physical resources are going to fluctuate, you know, how kind of hostile it feels <laughs> society's ableist structures are, are going to impact you more or less depending on where you are in your life. And then over time, as we age, most people experience a change in their physical abilities, like, and that's coming no matter what, <laughs> right? So all of this impacts all of us, regardless of like, where we maybe start supposedly on some kind of spectrum. Yeah. I would also say it's almost like an organic human experience. Right. Unless you unless you die a sudden premature death. Right. <laughs> right. You, right. You, unless you, you happen will to be experience like experience at some point. <laughs> right. Unless you're like an Olympic snowboarder who happens to die at 21, you will probably experience <laughs> some change or difference in your physical abilities as your life goes on. Do you have anything you want to add to this part, Rochelle? Yeah. I just wanted to add that when we were talking about doing this together, I said to Tina, I don't think I have things to say about this. Like I, you know, what, where, who am I to comment? And she said, well, you know, it's even things like I'm allergic to dairy, like death allergic (laughs) and even like not wanting, she said to me, even not wanting to speak out at restaurants, that that is something I, I feel that I'm being awkward or a pain, but that is to the other people around me. Oh no, you know, here she is, you know, moaning about things. And I didn't even realize that was an aspect of this. And even thinking also separately on the corporate world, you know, women, when you talk about the menstrual cycle and our our emotions do change and, you know, tears, having been in that world, are shunned upon you know, oh, it's the woman, she's being so emotional, you know, what are you doing? Whereas if a man is to show anger, that's allowed. It's like, well, he's just being like, you know, the muscular, showing his emotion, being he's like powerful. a strong leader. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So there's also, you know, that emotional side of, I think. It's not even seen as one of my favorite tweets ever. And by favorite, I mean, like just horrifyingly accurate was basically like the biggest con like men have ever pulled is rebranding anger as not an emotion, <laughs> that, right? That like when men get angry, that's like somehow not, they're not being emotional, but when women have any emotion, they are being emotional. <laughs> right. 
So let's talk a little bit about how we can use thought work. So we've sort of, here's all the problem. (laughs) We've all internalized (laughs) sort of what I would call toxic capitalism, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. as those of you who heard the episode I did with Trudy LeBron, I think it's useful to differentiate between like toxic capitalism and, you know, what she calls just commerce, which is like a more equity-based way Mm -hmm. of exchanging goods and services for value. And that I think just commerce would not have to be ableistic. It's like ableism in a different word form. It's like would not have to be discriminatory and based on ableism, let's say that way. (laughs) Whereas I think, you know, toxic capitalism in its current form, like is, as Tina said, inherently suffused with ableism. That's how we can say it. Because ableistic doesn't sound like the right word. Ableist. Ableist. There we go. Where was I getting the IC from? I was having a lot of trouble with that. I I think I was too far away from my microphone. Sometimes you get a word wrong and you're just like. Looking for it. I was going ableist. Oh, I can hear you. Ableist. There we go. (laughs) Ableist. I don't know where that was coming from. I've said that word before 10 million times. But, you know, it's definitely inherent in that kind of toxic capitalist, right, obsession with productivity. So, Given like, yes, we all want to make social change, but also now we live in this world right now. What can we do with our brains? Which is like the theme of this podcast. I'd love to hear from both of you. We can have Rochelle go first this time. (laughs) Tina's worried about always going first. (laughs) To talk a little bit about like how you think we can use thought work to deal with this, right? To kind of not deny what the structural problems are, but to kind of create more resilience. For me, the most basic sense is to first have the awareness. There's so many things going around in our brains that we don't even realize. And I think when we talk to non-coaches, we realize that people just assume this is just the way it is. So I always teach my clients first of all to just get in the habit of getting their thoughts down on paper because there's so many, you know, niggly little things that you're like, oh, I didn't even realize how much I was pushing myself today or hating on myself or shooting on myself. And as a British thing as well, we're often keeping a stiff upper lip. We don't want to discuss it with friends. We don't want to be seen to or be failing or not being productive. So having what's actually going on in your brain, the self-talk you're having, getting it out on the paper is really, really helpful to get that awareness. And then once you've got the awareness, you taught us, which I teach everybody, is just looking at those thoughts and seeing if there's a way of changing them slightly. So we call it the thought ladder, which you've probably heard Cara mention before, but it's like looking at those and saying, questioning those thoughts. Oh, is it really that you should be doing something? Or could it be that, oh, is it possible that I don't need to do that today? Is it possible that I could do something else? And just giving yourself the opportunity to be aware and look at, is it true or not? And how could I maybe change that thought to serve me to be a bit kinder? We're so harsh on ourselves as women. And just having that kindness and having that care for ourselves a little bit, even if it's just 10 minutes a day in the morning, is really going to be helpful. Yeah, definitely agree. It all has to start with that awareness. What do you what do you think, Tina? How do you use thought work on kind of this internalized ableism productivity stew? I also start with the awareness piece. I think it's so important to really actually educate yourself of where all this is coming from. So it's not just you thinking all these things. I think this knowledge is a piece. So awareness and the awareness, I put knowledge. And then noticing it so just wandering around your day and just notice this stuff coming up with compassion because it can happen that you then kind of go oh no it's all like in my brain and you beat yourself up and you try and reject it and push it all down that's why I would say notice it with compassion and then next step I teach is naming it out loud which is a bit weird you can do it sort of out loud in your head And the way it goes is you just narrate your own life a little bit. And I always say like, oh, here comes the bit where my brain regurgitates the thought that, or you can create your own sentence. It's almost like you're narrating, you're noticing, but you're kind of creating a bit of distance in your head. And then the next one is to sit with cognitive dissonance. It's almost like this stuff that you've, internalized and then how you actually want to think like both of these things happening in your brain just sit with that for a bit and then what Rochelle already said kind of use your tools like do a model sit with your model and there'll be an important part to process your feelings 
before you create an intention and model and then practicing new thoughts, almost kind of going, okay, now I know where this is all coming from. Uh, now what? So I love that. And I think one of the things that's coming to mind is you're speaking is like, so in some ways it's like thought work often feels very zoomed in. It's like, what is the specific thought in your brain? And then an understanding of structural oppression feels very zoomed out, right? It's like, what is the big picture society system in the world? Mm. But I think one of the places it's really easy to see how they intersect is seeing the programming in your brain as like a program you were taught, the thought your brain learned to believe was true. And then looking at the ways in which your brain will always find evidence to prove that true. So in this Mm -hmm. instance, an example would be like, you start out thinking, well, I don't get enough done. That's why I have these thoughts. Like I'm behind, I'm not getting enough done. I'm not productive enough. I didn't have a productive day, whatever, whatever. We've all heard this a million times in our own head and from everybody around us. And everybody says it like it's a true thing. Like it's clear that the day truly wasn't productive and that that's bad. If you take a step back and you think, okay, so what happened when I was socializing growing up is that I absorbed all this internalized ableism and capitalism, which means that my brain now runs the program called, you're probably not doing enough. Like that's the program in my brain. And my brain is like, wakes up every morning. It was like, press play on you're probably not doing enough. And if we don't know about thought work and socialization, we're like, yep, that's true. Let me try to take a bunch of actions to try to satisfy that program. Like if I take enough actions, my brain will not run the program. But in fact, once you learn that it's truly just socialization and a program your brain is running, I think that's when you can start to think about the fact that even when you've had a really productive day, the next day your brain says it again. And Mm -hmm. sometimes your brain tells you, that you don't have enough time to do things when you only have two things to do. And like that you can start to see how what is actually happening in the world does not really impact whether your brain decides to say this or not, right? Because the script is in there, the program is in your brain, your brain is going to play that program regardless. So if you feel overwhelmed, you may think, well, if I just took half the things off my plate, then my brain wouldn't play the I'm overwhelmed, right? And if you're think you're not productive enough, you think if I just doubled what's on my plate, my brain wouldn't play the I'm not productive enough program. These things are so deeply connected because in a very weird way, I think if you believe you need to constantly be productive, then you are constantly taking actions to make yourself overwhelmed, right? Because you don't believe that there should be any space, basically. You don't believe that there should be any rest or any relaxation. And so it like seems counterintuitive when you're overwhelmed. What you think is, yeah, of course I want to do less. I'd like to have less things to do. I would feel so great. But subconsciously, you were actually constantly creating more shit for yourself to do. Because if you weren't overwhelmed, then you wouldn't think you were being productive, right? They like go hand in hand. You actually are very afraid to not be busy because then you'd have to think that you aren't productive and not valuable. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense because I'm just saying it as I talk it out, but it's like two sides of the same coin. Mm. It's like your worth is based on how overwhelmed you are. Right. You don't think that, but it's true because your worth is based on how productive you feel. And so you want to always have the chance to like be more productive to prove your worth. So you're going to keep adding shit to your plate so that you can keep trying to make that happen. You're not going to take stuff off your plate, even if you could. You think you would intellectually, but subconsciously your brain is running the program to keep adding shit. Mm. Because if your plate was actually half full, you think you'd feel peaceful and not overwhelmed. But actually your brain is terrified of that because then you would think that you're not worthy and not good enough because you're not doing enough. Yeah. So it's like terrible codependency <laughs> between yeah. like being overwhelmed and and thinking you have to be productive all the time. Like busy syndrome. It's yeah. Like, I'm so busy, which means right. I must be very important. I think I don't want to be, but I keep making myself busy because yeah. my ego is tied up in it. Yeah. What were you going to say, Tina? I was just going to say, as we're talking to thought book practitioners, that this can seep into your thought work as well Mm -hmm. so that you beat yourself up about not having done your thought work today Mm -hmm. and that you you include this into your belief system of being productive Mm -hmm. and it's called thought work isn't it (laughs) the kind of this bettering yourself and it can happen Mm -hmm. also with rest you know whenever I see these posts about rest as productive it's just but you're like, that's not the point of rest. Exactly. <laughs> and also, is this what I also wanted to say when you start doing this work, and you maybe stumbled across this right now. If once you start putting on the brakes, you think that, oh, no, I'm going to rest and I'm going to get rid of all this productivity thinking. 
it's actually going to feel really shit because I've got when we come back to personal lived experience when I kind of stopped or was forced to stop it was actually really horrible that's why we don't rest because we don't want to experience what it's going to feel like yeah totally so good So those of you listening to this and are like, oh my God, this describes me. I need help with this. I want you to go to unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash breakthrough, teaching the burnout breakthrough starting June 6th. And we are going to solve this problem. (laughs) You're going to learn exactly what is creating your burnout and you're going to learn how to heal what's already happened, but most importantly, like stop, get out of the cycle so that you are not continually creating more burnout for yourselves. So unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash breakthrough, or you can text your email to plus one three four seven nine nine seven one seven eight four, and the code word is breakthrough. And I would love for you guys to also tell everybody where they can find you if they want to learn more about your work. So I have no website. I only have an Instagram. <laughs> there you go. That's where you'll find me. modern of you. No website place. at all. <laughs> and it's Tina marie with i e dot co at tina dot marie you want to spell that in case people based on pronunciation aren't exactly I can't sure. spell it in english i'm german you're putting <laughs> me on the spot there okay i'll try so at t-i-n-a dot m-a-r-i-e dot k-o-c-h there we go <laughs> We'll put it in the show notes also. Yeah. And mine is no better. I'm just oh, great. All right. Out. Spell yours. Let's go. What's <laughs> happening? You guys got to get in the business mastermind so we can fix this. What's <laughs> happening, Michelle? Yeah, I'm the one who phonetically spells my name on, on Zoom so that people normally can know how to say it. So mine is, I have a website, rochellesummers.com. So it's R-A-C-H-E-L-E summers.com. And I have an Instagram, which is Rochelle Hannah Summers. And that's it because somebody stole Rochelle Summers before. Oh, no. (laughs) Got to send out a vigilante, get that shit back. All right, my (laughs) friends. So check out these brilliant coaches. And if you want to work on your burnout in the short term, which you all should because the world ain't getting less crazy, unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash breakthrough. We are starting June 6th. All right, y'all. Thanks for coming on and sharing your wisdom and expertise with the chickens and with me. Thank you for for having us. us. If you're loving what you're learning in the podcast, you have got to come check out The Clutch. The Clutch is the podcast community for all things Unfuck Your Brain. It's where you can get individual help applying the concepts to your own life. It's where you can learn new coaching tools not shared on the podcast that will blow your mind even more. And it's where you can hang out and connect over all things thought work with other podcast chickens just like you and me. It's my favorite place on earth and it will change your life. I guarantee it. Come join us at www.unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. That's unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. I can't wait to see you there.